You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Justice is Served here on Black Hollywood Live. I am filling in for the great Sarah Zari, joined alongside Chelsea Galicia. Welcome, Thank Chelsea. Thank you for that enthusiastic welcome. There you go. How are you today? Pretty good. We've got some legal news, as always. Yep. And we're going to talk about it, as always. Let's, uh, let's, let's get right into it. Shall we? First one, what do we got? We got Izell Ford. So I'm a little bit disappointed in our city, in the LAPD, for finding that the officers who shot and killed uh, Mr. Ford were justified in doing that. Uh, this came out last week, and uh, there's another uh, commission that's run by citizens that's hearing complaints from the community to see perhaps... Um, and they're considering maybe perhaps the actions that led up to this killing were not justified. So this is um, a, a case where there was a struggle on the ground with two officers and Mr. Ford. And the officer yelled, shoot. One officer apparently shot him in the side. And it seems perhaps that the officer who was down on the ground, reached around and shot him in the back, like with the gun so close to his back that it left an imprint on it. Um, And, of course, the officers say that he was reaching for one of the officer's guns, so that's what uh, caused him to be killed. Maybe, but there's also a big question of what in the heck led up to them being in that circumstance in the first place. And that is where I think where there are some valid concerns about the behavior of these officers, the actions that they took. Um, and so I can, I, I, I it, it looks to me like they have done something that escalated the situation that perhaps caused this man who, uh, I don't think he, he was, um, so mentally ill that he did, was incompetent to be, you know, out on his own. But, um, he had a history of mental illness. I don't think, I don't know if that had any part to, to play in this. I don't think it did, but they obviously didn't handle him as a mentally ill um, person. Maybe they didn't even know he was, but I don't even think that they uh, dealt with him that they w- the way they would any normal citizen. He was walking down an alley and Well, to, to your him. point, um, you know, obviously... He, he, Whatever case it is, whether this one or anything, you look at it individually, at least you're supposed to, right? And you're not supposed to have prior judgment go into it. You know, you try to have an uh, unbiased uh, jury of your peers and so on. It's never going to happen, right, overall. And especially the the, the interesting thing, I look at L.A. And the history that L.A. has just in the most, you know, let's say the last 20 years of racism and, and, and everything else is just so interesting because... Um, and I think part of it, I think it definitely stems from the fact that there is no middle class overall, right? right. There's either the, the, uh, a working lower class or an upper, you know, class, uh, as, um, 
you know, primarily identified by celebrities living here. And, um, and I think, I, I, I think that goes, you know, I think that history has kind of led up a lot of, to, to this, you know, I mean, yeah. go back to the riots, go back to everything right. else. It's like, not it's just a, race. It is also seems to parallel with sort of class differences. Um, the weird part about this case and the scary part of this case is that, you know, there was no initial reason or obvious reason for the officers to stop him. He was walking in an alley. Officers say he had turned around and was trying to hide his hands. I don't really know what that means. I didn't even know hiding your hands is illegal. Maybe he was putting his hands in his pockets and that was perceived as hiding his hands. Anyway, but it would, another, de- it would depend on the command though. If it's say like, you know, cause they, they hadn't say, said anything to him. That's just what they observed. And they observed or, or noted that this alley that he was walking in is known for frequent gang activity or for frequent criminal activity. So if you are in an alley where there's ever been a drug deal and you're not a part of it at all, and you walk down that alley, you might be stopped just because that alley itself is a known place for criminal behavior, which (coughs) seems very unfair because I, I doubt walking in the alleys behind, you know, in Beverly Hills that we would expect to to get stopped. So it, it's, it's a very sad state of affairs of the difference between, you know, an alley in more, you know, urban L.A. and so not from so a law, but I guess from a law slash um, politics standpoint, you know, because it seems like to me, if, if these questions keep arising, right, and um, I, I think we just have to define as a society because, you know, how how officers should handle that. Is it a zero tolerance policy? No, you know, if, if X, Y, and Z based on it, that it is a gang related area, do you just take a stance like, Hey, it's kind of well known or, you know, do you put up signage as well to say like, Hey, avoid this area? I don't know. But if, it, yeah. you know, if there's certain protocols that, that you now are there and then aren't followed, then you can assume, you know, based off of that. And then ignorance of the law is no excuse at that point. I I mean, if the Supreme Court would say you should have no Fourth Amendment expectation of privacy in a place of known criminal activity, you might as well remove all rights to to privacy and to, you know, do as you please when you're not breaking the law or harming anybody and minding your own business. Uh, That's a real steep, slippery slope. That's what it seems that the police officers are, are are saying, but nobody has explicitly explicitly said it because if they do, they would see how ridiculous it sounds. Um, I, I I I wish that there was an easy solution to this problem. Probably treating people like human beings rather than everybody like a criminal straight away. Maybe coming up to citizens and asking questions. You know, wouldn't it be nice if the first question that officers asked was, "Hey, are you doing okay today?" It looks like there, you know, maybe something suspicious around here. Can we, we we're going to ask you some questions. Fine, but and and if a police officer approached a person that way and maintained that kind of tone and attitude, it would be difficult for me to see how things could escalate to the point where we've got people wrestling on the ground and somebody being Maybe he was afraid for his own life and reached for the gun just to scare the officers off, mm-hmm. not intending to shoot them or anybody else, if that is really what happened. But I, I think some civility would go a long way yeah, I mean, for all of us. I, I, I think that can work. I mean, right now, um, the solutions that that you're talking about and, and that I think I'm hinting at is right now we're reactionary, right? Something happens and then reacting to it and, oh, what could have happened, what should have happened, so on and so forth. I think, uh, 
you know, we need to anticipate things a little bit better and create these various policies and define those policies so that way we are on the same page. And, uh, you know, it's a representative democracy, so to define it as such, you know, not not everyone's going to agree with it, but it's on paper that this is what it is, and so yeah, I mean, majority- it's, it's a sad day that we have to like put into policy, treat all human beings with kindness and respect, and assume that they're innocent. Um, you know, that's that's what the law, the way that the law is supposed to. Uh, hold everybody as we're all, you know, but it's fear based. Look at, look at what happened. Investigations. Look at what happened uh, at the LA airport, right? Just a couple, a uh, week or so back, you know, um, and that, that was a situation there for those of you unaware. Um, you know, uh, they, they had like a terrorist stop, right? Um, I forget the full story, but you know, so it's one of those things like, you know, we only see the bad side of it. Um, but how many times has it gone? Uh, justified, you know. Well, when and, and we look statistically, the, the number the, the number of times that our rights are infringed upon is, is actually way out of alignment, or is way overblown compared to the actual real threats to us. Mm-hmm. And so, this fear of you know a, a violent man in an alley, and the fear of uh, a terrorist has been used to scare us all a whole lot more than the reality should. If you look at the number of people killed by terrorists, it is a teeny tiny number compared to the number of people who die of diabetes and heart disease. 600,000 people die a year of heart disease. We don't have a war on heart disease, but you know, things that cause real fear that people can use to control other people is is used a lot to kind of justify you know, the government's, uh, you know, coming down harshly on our rights to come and go uh, freely and to, you know, walk through the street or go through an airport. I know that we all have serious fears uh, of things happening in airports because of 9-11. But at some point, it's 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 just too much compared to the reality. And I think that that's where we have to get our fears properly addressed is look at the reality, look at the numbers, look at the statistics, and that should help you feel better. And don't listen to the politicians who are constantly trying to make you afraid of something or someone. Mm-hmm. So in, ter- in terms of uh, everyone who's upset right now, have they taken any action? Whoa, whoa. Yeah, well, um, like I uh, talked about earlier, there's a commission of um, citizens that does oversee the police, and they also get to uh, look at the situation and see whether they uh, have found anything that was wrong. Uh, they might um, find uh, that the officer's reasoning um, that the uh, for getting into that situation, for the actions that led right up to the shooting uh, were out of policy. And so then that goes to Chief Beck to figure out discipline for the officer. But if you look at Beck's history, he doesn't tend to discipline his officers in those situations. He sends them to training. So... Do you disagree with that? I mean, I I think that's... That's not a bad way of handling it. Um, well, I, mean, part I, don't, of it- I don't think it should be training or punishment. I think you can have both if a situation warrants that. Um, and this situation that escalated so far out of control that somebody who is unarmed, you know, he was walking through an alley. Maybe he had just dealt with some, you know, drug dealers who had no drugs on him, who, you know, was just walking down an alley something 
should happen that those officers escalated the situation to the point that it did. Uh, some massive training. And I think if you're going to be trained to the intensity that I think those officers need to be trained, they're going to be pulled off the streets for a while. And that might be uh, perceived as a punishment, but I think mm-hmm. a justifiable one. Yeah, I would agree. Next story. Oh, man. One more uh, story of a white officer killing a unarmed black man, this time in North Charleston, South Carolina. Say one more. I think, I, I think unfortunately... One I mean, more for the day. One more for the day. I mean, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's, it's so sad that, that... I mean, this is literally just the news that keeps coming up. I know. We could change the name of the show to reflect something. One officer, one, one black shot. I, something like that. I mean, this is really a sad state of affairs. I mean, it, on the one hand, it's sad. On the other, it's good that we're talking about it because having attention on a problem, um, focus, energy, some will be is the first step to a acknowledging that there is a problem and b finding solutions. So for that part of it, I am grateful uh, for the show and this platform so that we can talk about these stories and and educate people on what happens because I see a lot of comments um, on these articles where people seem to misunderstand what happened and they a lot of times blame the victim and I think maybe if they heard the story, you know, broken down in layman's terms, the way we try and do it here, that people would have a real understanding uh, of of what happened. So yes, one more. And this is one that we uh, covered a few weeks ago. This is the, the guy that an officer had pulled over. And the officer went back to his car, presumably to, you know, write up a ticket or to uh, run this guy's driver's license to see if there were any warrants and the guy took off running uh it's believed that he took off running because he had a bench warrant for his arrest because he owed about eighteen thousand dollars in child support for for two of his children so some of his family members think that he ran off for that reason the officer caught up to them they were in a scuffle the taser was pulled out and at some point um walter scott started running away and in that time, there was um, a bystander who caught on uh, cell phone video the officer shooting towards him multiple times as Scott ran away and then shot him in the back, which killed him. So uh, he, the officer, uh, Michael Slager, is sitting in jail. He had already been charged back in April, and now a grand jury has also indicted. So that just supports the fact that it was right the first time to charge him with with murder. And I would say this should be a non-newsworthy story. But because there's been a history of grand juries not indicting cases like this, it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a surprised relief when they do. So that's why we thought we would bring it to you, even though this is kind of what should have happened all along. Do you think, um, you know, uh, in, in, in other cases, perhaps past... Um, you know, and I hate to say it, but future ones, this can be used uh, as a case study um, for making a decision. Yeah, well, because the the justification right now for an officer to kill someone, shoot at them, use lethal force, is officers' fear for their own safety, for their own life. So this is a case study in an unarmed man running away from you is not sufficient to cause you fear for your own life if that's 
ever what he Ligon felt. Legan knows if um, the safety of others. Correct. But, yeah, but this How, man wasn't running away with a gun. Didn't wasn't accused of just shooting people. I get that. I'm just, I'm just clarifying for yeah. that. You know, right? It's it's safety of yourself, but also more, even more importantly, the safety of others. And I don't know. Um, and so just just making sure that that distinction is made because I'm sure sometimes an officer, hey, I wasn't. Yes, no. Was I threatened? No. But uh, maybe the community was. Yeah, and in a lot of these cases that we've seen, there haven't been third parties that were involved and officers haven't been saying I, you know, shot him to protect a member of the public. What's been happening is they've been saying I felt uh, my own life was in danger. And so um, that's why that's this defense has become such uh, a, a source of contention. And I guess officers need to better understand what really it means to be in fear for your own life and safety. And I guess we should thank the um man who took the video uh, because this may have had a very different result if there was no video of this. I agree. And, and, and to, to your point about uh, officers in, in terms of their safety, I think it's one of those things um, you as an officer, you signed up for a certain amount of risk. So until you are, I, I, I don't know how you define it. Um, and maybe I'll think of it as time goes on, but um, until you're a hundred percent certain and even at that point, you know, I, I think it's you, you like you signed up to be willing to take a bullet or to possibly die, whereas a, a, a civilian did not. Right. Well, I, and currently the standard is whether, you know, a reasonable person in that officer's shoes would have felt that their life was at risk. And it's it's obviously very subjective, um, but I don't think there would be a way to make it an objective criteria. I wonder why, though, you know, he had already been using his taser. If he really thought that Walter Scott needed to be subdued, uh, taser him uh, again, uh, or I, I just don't see the need to kill him. And there was no way that at the distance that um, uh, Walter Scott was from the officer that the officer could have been like shooting intentionally for his leg to get him to stop running. It was just kind of spray of bullets and, you know, they got him in the back. So unfortunately we have, or fortunately or unfortunately, depending on the way you look at it, we have another case that was caught on cell phone video. This time this weekend uh, in Texas where a a party, a community pool uh, was I don't say hosting a party, but there was a, a pool party at a community pool in Texas, uh, about 30 miles away from Dallas. And apparently what happened there is that uh, this party was attended mostly by black teens. And apparently a white woman was said to have been harassing the kids and saying, go back to your Section 8 housing. And this caused uh, a fight. The police were called. 11 officers showed up and one of them decided to make this like the scene of a movie, including barrel rolls. Like, I I don't know if you saw this video, but it is in one moment hysterical and in the next just heartbreaking. He just runs around out of control, like escalating the situation. The intensity has no ability to remain calm under the circumstances. Starts yelling profanity at the kids, you know, sit your ass down. Um, even when some of them were already sitting, uh, slammed a girl to the ground, which I can't see any reason 
uh, why this officer should fear this girl. She was not armed. There was no place for her to hide any kind of gun or weapon or knife because she was in a bikini. Slammed her into the ground, um, kneeled on her on her back. Uh, just pretty insane behavior. And uh, first he was put on administrative leave. And then just yesterday he chose to resign. I mean, I, I, I always try to have a couple of questions even before kind of passing any sort of judgment on this. Number one, I'd like to know what the policy is of, of this particular community pool. You know, um, I know I grew up in, in condos and things like that, and you have a community pool, and there's very much a set of rules, right? Uh, so I would have liked to know that. Well, they do know in this case that the community pool had rules. You had to have a card to get it, and most of these kids kids did have cards. There was a question about whether the security officer thought there was too many people there. Fine. Maybe there were too many people and it exceeded the capacity. And if kids, you know, refuse to go home, maybe, you know, bring the police to say, hey, guys, here are the rules and this is how you're breaking the the rules. But why do you need to arrest people for this? I mean, this would have never, I, I can't imagine this would have ever happened when I was a kid, you know, I remember one party, you know, one of those kickbacks. Do, do they still call it kickbacks these days? Maybe they do. Um, I was probably, you know, 15. And one of the guys, uh, when the cops came, I don't know, batted his arm, you know, waved his arm at a cop. It started this whole big problem. They called a, a, a helicopter and it circled the house. And but nobody was ever mean to us and t- yelling us to sit down and well, what, what did the security what did the pool security i mean because if you're if you're at a community pool there's got to be a lifeguard there's got to be you know there, there's some sort of structure so why didn't they step in at a certain time why uh, i i it looks to me like there was only the one security person who maybe was, was which is one more security person than most community pools have to begin with i mean like, usually it's a lifeguard i mean there are people who are trying to defend this cop saying these kids were unruly they were out of hand they were engaging in illegal behavior such as jumping over a fence have you ever jumped over a fence as a, how old are these kids <laughs> teenagers so and again, does, but it goes back to jumping the, over fences mean you should get slammed to the ground and told to set your ass down if you break a rule you face the consequence sometimes you know jumping a fence hey please don't do that i mean was this I, again, really necessary i just I, I i i i agree that for it wasn't it wasn't necessary um i there should have been better ways of handling it part of it is okay uh how did this party get approved? You know, because most, I mean, if you bring a group of friends and things like that, it's that. It, but there's again, there, it goes back to the rules of this community pool, and I think it should. It was just poorly mismanaged by everybody, including this community. Perhaps you're right, but the biggest problem here is how they was the that icing one on officer, the cake. Officer Eric Casebolt, who thought he was going to, like, save the day. I mean, you should see him running around in this video, like, just frantically. You know, some of the other officers are also seen in a video um, talking calmly to these kids, saying, hey, guys, when you see us coming, don't run away. And just talking to them like human I mean, beings. I mean, if you take it to it could go one of two ways. One, I don't know. If you look at it like, okay, I'm being called in for a pool uh, disturbance. Either something's really up. Or you come in there and be like, 
okay, what is the? This is a joke. What's going on? Well, here? you can see that there was a lot of teens, but nobody has nobody said there's a gun, there's a knife, there was dangerous activity. It's just kids being innocent kids. Nobody here has ever said that the kids did anything dangerous to themselves, others, officers. Let's just say they were unruly. Let's just say that they were jumping fences and let's just say that they were trying to get in a community pool, which they did not rightfully have access to. You're still going to tell them to sit their ass, sit your ass down and, 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 and cuff people and slam people into the ground. Yeah. I just see no justification for it. And it really, um, shocked me. Actually, I have, um, family in Texas on my white side. And, uh, and one of my cousins wrote all, all because these people were unruly and don't know how to behave themselves and officers out of a job. No, this officer is out of a job because he did his job poorly. Dis- and, and we don't even what, know what happens to the woman because I mean she, she I, I, she's very much at fault and, I, I, I couldn't find anything else about this woman other than the fact that she the, told section people eight. right nobody talked to her I mean the real one other interesting part of this story is about how the kid who took this video is a white kid who mm-hmm. he said he saw the officers telling his black friends to, to sit down and, and talk to them very disrespectfully and just completely ignored him Mm-hmm. Holding the, the the camera, and he even said, "You know, I just because I was white, I was fine." So, it, sad, fascinating, and and you and know, what? I mean, if, if if there's anything to, like to be gained from it, he should never overlook the white kid. Because <laughs> no, that's the whole. Okay, no, but here's the reason, right? <laughs> he should so, have slammed so the white kid to the ground. You, you overlook the white kid who is filming this, and congratulations, you're out of it. You know what I mean? Like because of your own stupid racism, he should have gone and knocked that kid out. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just <laughs> saying like that's how that that's the level of racist you are that you ended up in this situation because it was filmed by a white kid. Yeah, and and again, had it been because you know had it been a black kid yeah that phone would have been smashed yeah i probably i mean that's that and and that's really um that's really scary i mean this kid was actually really brave to keep filming while this was happening including the point at which the officer pulled his gun on the kids as some of them were trying to help the girl that he had just slammed to the ground uh so uh you know commendable job to that kid for shooting and that video even, I, I, I don't even, I, I, I might have been scared. I mean, he said his, his, his heart dropped and he, he thought, oh my God, somebody's going to get shot. Um, and I, I would have been scared and perhaps backed I, away I, I give him, I, I, give him, I give him credit for coming out with it. Yeah. You know, and, but again, it, it just more speaks to the stupidity of this officer and how just insane that he really is. Yeah. So well, there you have it. At least the McKinney Police Department uh, and the community won't have to deal with him. Although I saw that he still gets his like pension and benefits, which <coughs> irks me. And I definitely hope that he uh, is charged criminally, which the community is pressing for. So we'll see. We'll find out. Stay tuned. All right. Next story. We've got two more. Um, well, we got oh, one, one, more, one more. more. Last one. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is interesting. Because we all, uh, by now, since we've covered this a lot, know about the death of Terry Carter, 
due to Suge Knight running him over, the issue of whether Suge Knight did it intentionally or out of fear for his life. But now the the widow of Terry Carter has filed a wrongful death claim, not just against Suge, but against Dr. Dre, against uh, Ice Cube, against Universal Studios, uh, Pretty Bird Pictures, um, the owner of the truck, that Suge was driving, as well as poor little Tam's Burgers, the, the, whose parking lot was the scene of this, this death. So, uh, I was pretty surprised at the number of defendants named in this. To me, it's, you know, obvious that, you know, Suge, uh, would be a target of it, but, you know, Tam's Burgers was accused of Knowing that they, they, they knew or should have known of the dangerous area and the violent crimes that regularly occur in the area. And therefore they should have had a security guard, an armed one there. Well, I'm sure they're just trying to stay in business, <laughs> let alone. Right. So now, you know, if you are operating a business in an area known uh, for criminal activity, you have to incur the additional cost of a security in and around the premises all the time. That's so pretty build interesting. So into one. the rent of, of the of, of the place. Oh, but you know Anything. That, that's really hard. But the no, other, I get that. But 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 don't you know what I mean? Like, don't just make it a thing. The other problem, the bigger problem, is that Terry's death was not a result of some random violence in this you know gang infested area. It, that it, was it, very much a targeted. It was. It was. A, a, a confrontation that occurred between people that knew each other. This confrontation could have occurred just as easily in Beverly Hills as it did in Compton. There was nothing about Tam's Burgers uh, itself, the parking lot, or even the area. The area itself was just the scene of where they were shooting the the movie. But the problem, the beef that these people had with each other uh, was personal, goes back decades and could have been the scene of a confrontation anywhere. So I, I, I'm on Tam's Burger's side on this one and, and saying that they should not be held liable for, for his death. Uh, It's also questionable to me whether the owner of the truck should be held liable. Uh, they're saying that the owner of the truck should have known that Suge was this crazy, violent, erratic, d- reckless driver. That's questionable. I don't know how they would have known that. There's some question about whether Suge had a driver's license at the time or not. But to hold somebody um, liable for a death caused because you let somebody borrow a car and that person shouldn't have been able to borrow a car... Uh, it's a far reach. I mean, if I see that you're drunk, I know you have a history of um, car accidents that are that are your fault, and I let you drive my car. Maybe you could be de- uh, guilty of negligent entrustment. That one I can see more than than certainly the uh, Tams Burgers. I think you know because I, I there is that inherent worry, and uh, trust me, I deal with it all the time of who people borrowing cars and, and whatever else, and how it's how you're liable and not liable. So I, but I, I, you know, if you, if you borrowed my car and went it to, uh, went to use it to meet up with people that you have, you know, beef with, there's no way that I knew that you were going or, or expected to know who you were going to go meet up with. Um, the, the, 
if if Suge had been in a rage and said, I'm going to go kill that guy. But and then I said, here, here's my truck. Go take it to, to do that. Okay, maybe. But uh, there was nowhere in the complaint that I saw that there was any obvious signs. Well, what was the reasoning that he bar- or, like to, to have borrowed the truck, right? That is not to, explained. See, and I think because that's where that's where that kind of comes in. Because if, if I said, hey, um, you know, I need to borrow your car because mine's in the shop. Like if I had plausible reason to borrow the car, then you're off the hook. But if you didn't ask me, hey, why do you need the car? Why you, got, you know? I, I think. I don't know. Just from I mean, a legal perspective, I think there is some ownership from there. From a legal perspective, you just you know have, have a duty to to not w- let somebody borrow your car if you knew or should know that they're irresponsible, or dangerous, or not fit to drive a, a car. Um, I think that one's going to be pretty tough to prove in this case. Isn't it, there insurance for that though? For negligent entrustment, um, I don't know. I mean, perhaps because negligence you can get insurance against, but not for anything that you do purposefully. So perhaps that. But you can add like people to to the insurance and things like that. Yeah. Now it gets a little interesting also when you bring in the movie that was being shot, and that's why um, Universal Studios and Pretty Bird Pictures are being brought into this. They are accused of not taking seriously the fact that. Uh, Suge and, and Dre and Ice had have a long history of beef, and that they should have known that that history of beef would cause Suge to show up, for them to get all of them to get into a fight, and for then Terry to be run over. The problem with this is that Suge never had a problem with Terry. Uh, they were actually friends. In fact, it's believed that Terry might have been there to try and um, create Prevent some. Him meeting of the minds and, and draw some, uh, create some peace in the situation. So that doesn't seem like it quite fits to me um, that out of Universal's failure to um, take seriously this this history of problems that this group had, um, that they were supposed to know that Suge was going to show up and that he was going to run over Terry Carter, who had no part in this beef at all. He was a known peacemaker that was, as far as I know, um, respected well by mm-hmm. the community and even uh, people that were involved in this conflict. So I think that they're named mostly because they're an easy target with deep pockets. Uh, but I think it's a bit of a stretch um, as far as I could read in the in the complaint. Uh, and to some extent, same with, with Dre and Ice Cube, who... Well, is it a matter of... Um... You know, because I like a like dominoes, right? You you offset one, and and, and then you can kind of start win, winning the overall case. I I can't I can't because you, you can use one you can you can use one of those actions to say, hey, well, you know, in the ruling of of this particular instance, here's how, here's what you're telling me, and that you're telling me it, it's going this way. Then why does not apply to the greater aspect of things? I mean, I think the only way that I could see Dre, Ice Cube, and Universal being on the hook at all is for hiring um, Claybone Sloan, who has been hired before by Universal for um, a technical assistant on uh, training day. So he has a history of working with Universal before, and he was an advisor and helped with security. Uh, and this lawsuit says that he used Universal's money to hire known gang members to serve as security and 
uh, extras in the movie. None of those people had anything to do with Terry's death, so I don't think that that has any relevance. And also, much to some people's surprise, it's not a crime to give a gang member a job. So I, I don't, I don't see that. But in hiring uh, Sloan, they apparently hired somebody who had, who was somebody that had major beef with Suge Knight, and the Universal should have known that Suge Knight was going to show up to the movie because he was pissed about his portrayal in the movie, and then was going to get into a confrontation with Sloan. But then. How could anybody have imagined that Terry Carter would enter the scene? So he's just not a foreseeable victim in any of these, uh, yeah, I get, I get what you're these, these confrontations. And that's, you have to have that connection of, um, that he was a foreseeable victim or that, you know, but for any one of these things that people what are accused of doing wrong, Terry Carter would have died. It is a stretch for everyone except for Suge Knight. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this this highly assumes that people are number one good at their jobs. Number two, for lack of a better term, you know, I mean that that you're asking a lot of responsibility from all of these individuals and uh, entities. Yeah, I mean, it, it's but, but, it's it's too much. I mean, they're blaming Universal. They shouldn't have shot it in Compton. Well, that was you know the scene of of a, of the real life movie or the real life situations that gave rise to this movie. So uh, I thought it was really interesting that the very beginning of this lawsuit started with a um, an emotional statement. It said. Uh, that this lawsuit concerns the tragic tale of how reckless corporate greed, disguised as the quest for authenticity, led to a foreseeable altercation that resulted in the death of a successful businessman named Terry Carter and left his wife of 28 years and two daughters asking why his death ever had to occur. It's really entertaining to me when attorneys try and be dramatic. And I don't mean to speak badly about these attorneys. In fact, I uh, used to know one of these attorneys. I was, my sister and I were the uh, flower girls at his first wedding. So uh, I, I, I don't have anything personally against th- these attorneys for their their, their tactics, but um, it's a bit of a stretch. They're trying to well, be a little dramatic. It's, it's not the same. When you when you throw a rock in the air, you, you know, you can more than likely bet that it's going to come back on the ground. That, to, to say that this would have happened, it, like if you mapped out all these scenarios and said, "Hey, what is the one way that this is going to happen?" and you had the, no one would have predicted so some, that. Well, the, the, here's a couple of problems: reckless corporate greed. It, it's a dramatic statement that uses a lot of words, but I don't think can be backed up. Disguised as the quest for authenticity, I think that's referring to the fact that they insisted on shooting the movie in Compton and that they should not have been allowed to do that. I. I don't see how that that could stand. That they shouldn't have been able to uh, shoot. If you the can video- shoot in New York, you can shoot any. Like who well, cares? I mean, if the, you can get a cl- permit for it, the go. claim is, is that they shouldn't have shot in Compton because they should have known that Suge Knight was going to show up and kill Terry Carter. I mean, that's why I'm saying that this is such a, a, a stretch. It's a, it's a ridiculous and, stretch. And the the foreseeable altercation. Perhaps they're right about that part, but the part that was not foreseeable was that Terry Carter would have any part in that altercation or that Suge Knight would respond the way he did by running people over. So there's just intervening factors that I think break the, the causal connection yeah. chain, but I we'll agree. see. 
It's a lot of if this, then that. Right. And, There's uh, no clear but for, you know, this one behavior, this one action. That's why Terry died. And I, so, um, you know, I, I wish the the widow and the family of Terry Carter very well. Um, I, 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 I hope that, um, you know, the gain that they want from this case, um, you know, which unfortunately is only monetary. You can't give somebody their family member back. I, I, I hope that if they really, you know, are entitled to that, that money that they do get it from somebody who I think really is liable, which I can only see as Suge. I mean, it, obviously he did not drive carefully the way that we're all supposed to because he ran down two people and killed one person. So, um, it's going to be a long, painfully judicious road for Suge Knight. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, also, before uh, before we wrap things up, we want to tell you about a listener survey that we're conducting in tandem with Podcast One. It's uh, it's a chance to go, you know, it's different information than than we ask you in the past of you know uh, rate and comment. You know, obviously we still want you to do that, but now here's your chance to kind of answer uh, different questions uh, a little bit uh, deeper into insight uh, into you guys that way we can deliver the best product yes we like it i definitely want to hear from people who are watching us listening to us so that we can bring a better show so we uh really appreciate your participation they go to podcast one.com is that right podcast o n e dot com that's one spelled out podcast one.com uh you know it's a it's a listener survey for various different other podcasts so don't be surprised if you don't find us right away you know but uh it gives you a checkbox for the various shows that you listen to so just click justice is served on that podcast o n e dot com survey um and uh, another exciting thing a little bit a uh, little bit different than than the things that we've been talking about a little bit on a lighter note um a couple years ago e-host maria menounos she's also the 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 founder of black hollywood live um she she started every christmas kind of these dance battle videos right and um and they sound a little bit more intense than they were they're they're kind of um you know it was social movement so a lot of them were on instagram and things like that 15 seconds each and the you know the thing grew and grew it got julianne huff and the huffs involved um amber riley so on and so forth hudson a lot of celebrities got involved and a lot of families as well and now from e-host marie minos and julianne huff who we know from uh, abc's dancing with the stars comes abc's dance battle america and um you could have an opportunity to be on national television all you got to do is go to dancebattleamericacasting.com. You know, you film yourself doing a doing a dance routine with with a couple team members. All the rules are there, but it's on dancebattleamericacasting.com. It's so fun. I got to do it this last yeah. holiday season with Maria. Thank God I'm like way in the background so you can hardly see me. But it was really fun to do. And please note, this is not, you're not competing to be on Dancing with the Stars. This is much more <laughs> silly and things like that and, and uh, to, to put yourself out there and just, just give it a whirl. Have like homemade fun. music videos. Yeah. It was a good fun. I, so, I, I've seen you on a couple of them. There you go. You've got some skills. I'm working with my attorney, so that way I just do on the behind-the-scenes stuff, not in front of the camera stuff. It's probably a good call. Um, anyway, thank you guys for joining us yet again on another episode of Justice is Served. Let us know uh, your comments and thoughts in the, in the ratings and, and comment boxes below, whether on iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, the website, wherever you find us, however you listen or to us. Or tweet me. 
at Chelsea Galicia. That's right. Um, and uh, Azaria Law is Sarah's Twitter. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously she's the regular co-host. I'm just helping fill in. Thank so, you for doing this. Of course. Show, uh, show Chelsea and show Sarah some love. Uh, we'll be back next week for another Justice is Served. From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.